arrived at what we're going to talk about tonight in an interesting way. I'm never shocked or surprised about how God kind of orchestrates things or works things out. And I'm going to have a lot of different scripture passages, and you can see that I have all these little pieces of paper stuck in my Bible. And uh, But we're going to cover a lot of uh, scripture, and I'll try to do it in a way that I don't uh, bog us down in terms of taking longer than I have to. Um, but it's, there's a lot of, of scripture that we need to cover. But I want to start by mentioning a, a gentleman who I met many decades ago now. And he was in this church, and he spoke in this pulpit one weekend. His name was Dr. Ian Murray. Dr. Ian Murray had become, he was a British pastor, a very well-known British pastor. One of the reasons he's well-known is he started a publishing company called uh, Banner of Truth Trust, and they reprint a lot of the old Puritan writings, a lot of the old writings that people still want to hear, the Spurgeon stuff. And, you know, he was instrumental in starting that company uh, that, that publishes uh, reform literature and, uh, and books. But he, he had developed a friendship with a guy over in Yazoo City, Mississippi, named Sonny Peaster, who was an elder in the Second Church of Yazoo City. And Sonny had invited him, Perry remember Sonny, and he had invited him to speak at Yazoo City, and then he also spoke at several other city, uh, uh, churches around Mississippi. But because Dewey Roberts was uh, the pastor, I think Dewey was, uh, uh, this would be in the 70s sometime, and uh, that we got him to Bailey. And we were so crazy back then, we didn't, we didn't care how big a shot you were, we didn't invite you to come preach at Bailey. You know, we'd just go ahead and take a chance. You know, we'd have people like Tammy go off to a youth camp, and she'd talk about this big old guy, a Dutchman, who was a really great speaker. And we'd say, well, let's invite him to come to Bailey, the Henry Cromendum. So you know, we had some big-name folks that come to Bailey back in the day because we were so dumb and ignorant, we just didn't invite you to come. You know, <laughs> we didn't know any better, you know. And so we invited Ian Murray, and he came. And I don't know that he actually said this quote that I'm about to share with you at Bailey, but I wouldn't be surprised if he had. But I'm going to read that, this quote to you, of something that Dr. Murray said that's profound, and I want you to listen closely. He said, unregenerate man cannot comprehend the true basis of salvation and is therefore ever prone to do the best he knows that is to attempt to work out his standing before God by his own efforts. You get what he said? Unregenerate. A man or a woman who has not been born again cannot understand the true basis of salvation, is therefore prone to attempt to work out his standing before God by his own effort. Now that's profound. But I would suggest to you, that's exactly what Scripture teaches, and that's what we want to... We're going to look at that a little bit further uh, again. But uh, one of the reasons I was drawn to that quote was in... Part of it was the video that the Russell uh, showed the other night on Wednesday of dealing with, uh, 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 with uh, the five points of Calvinism that was put out as in, in response to the five points of Arminius, Jacobus Arminius, and in response to that. But one of the reasons is that many times in evangelical circles, and I would say Presbyterians, Baptists, all of us that will consider ourselves evangelical churches, that we have done a great disservice um, in the cause of Christ by, we might say, reinforcing and supporting things 
that Scripture does not. Keeping in mind what this quote I just read from, from, um, from Ian Murray. So it is for us, I would suggest to you, that we want to know what does Scripture say? What does Scripture command? What does our Lord and Savior command that we to do? And it is, and so this would be what I would say, is it is never permissible to represent to the unregenerate man or woman, boy or girl, as being able to do what Scripture declares that he will not do. You with me? I can't get up here and tell you that a man or woman will do something that Scripture says he will not. That would be blasphemous, wouldn't it? would it not? Romans chapter 8, verse 7 says, For the mind is set on the, on the flesh, it's hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 30, For those he predestined, he also called those he called he also justified those whom he justified he also glorified that's a familiar passage to us then we go to acts chapter 13 verse um, 44 to 43 we find paul preaching in antioch in pisidia and it was paul and barnabas and uh verse 44 it said well it says that the whole uh, city was gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And we're told that the Jews were jealous. Why were the Jews jealous? Because uh, the Gentiles were hearing what Paul was saying and they were believing. And that upset the Jews. In verse 47 of chapter 13, We read, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Hear this. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The words of Scripture point to a God-ordained, God-authored, God-initiated salvation in Christ. The gospel is offered, we preach it, we speak it, God, by the power of His Holy Spirit, makes it effectual unto salvation. And this brings us to Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. This is a long passage, and this is really the focus of what we want to talk about tonight, repentance. Repentance. You don't hear a lot about repentance, but let's hear what Scripture says. Acts chapter um, 11, verses 1 through 18. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So Peter went up to Jerusalem. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, 
And in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, eat and kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, But God has made clean. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we ate, which, in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen the angels stand in the house and said, send, uh, uh, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He would declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we, were believe, when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I should stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Repentance that leads to life, and what? God has granted it. God has given it. When we look at the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, Jesus is speaking there, and he tells a story of, um, uh, he, he, he refers to some current event that they were aware of, and it's not recorded anywhere in Scripture. This is something, though, that those he was speaking to would, be, would have been familiar with. And he, he told them about a, a pilot who had uh, mingled the blood. There's some people that were given sacrifices, and Pilate had killed them. And then he, and he said there was also a, a tower of Salaam that had fallen on some young people and killed them. And he uses that to get their attention. And he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We talk about repentance. We repent because if we don't repent, we won't come to the Lord in faith, and we will perish. John the Baptist, when he was calling people to himself in the wilderness, what did he say? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, so when we look at Jesus' words himself, the words of Paul, the words of Peter, every time we look at these words of the gospel writers we hear the same message repent and believe repent and belief are inseparable if faith if i'm going to come to christ in faith i'm going to trust in the one god sent into the world to die for my sins there's going to be repentance and faith inseparable in uh, so intimately connected that we really can't talk about one without talking about the other uh, 
So Paul, I mean, so uh, John the Baptist, when, when those Sadducees and Pharisees came to him as he was in the wilderness, what did he say to them? He said, you brood of vipers, who told you to, who warned you to, uh, to escape from the wrath that is to come? And he says, bear wit, bear, uh, uh, repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So all of these people talk about repentance. Um, and, and so really, I guess what I'm, I'm getting to is that we really need to be sure that when we are uh, focusing on calling someone to Jesus Christ and we're, we're urging them in our words or in our preaching to come to Jesus, we want to be sure that we don't leave out the necessity for godly repentance for for, and so we really, I guess maybe we need to get down to, the, to uh, defining what repentance is here in a minute, don't we? What is it? If, if it's so important and it's always mentioned by the gospel writers. And so I want to go to, Luke, uh, to Acts chapter 17 uh, quickly. Paul... In Acts chapter 17, we're told that he was provoked by the Holy Spirit and he went into the city of Joppa. Uh, I mean, we went into the city of Athens, I should say. And when Paul went into the city of Athens, the scripture says that he was there and he was reasoning in the marketplace with the devout men there. He was preaching in the synagogue daily and... um, he encountered the, philosoph- the Greek philosophers, the Stoics and Epicureans, and, and they, they questioned, uh, they, they really were concerned to hear about what Paul was talking about because Paul was talking about the resurrection. This was something that didn't sit necessarily well with them, and it, we're told that he, he addressed the, 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 uh, the Greeks and the Areopagites, and, uh, and Paul wanted to point out to them that God does not live in a temple made with hands. And um, in verse 30, he explained to them that they ought not to think of God as a God made by gold or silver or stone, an image created by the imagination of, of man. But this is what Paul said. He says, in the, the times of ignorance, God has overlooked but now God commands people everywhere to do what? Repent. Repent. Why? Because he has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus. And he has given assurance of this fact by raising him from the dead. And, of course, what did the Greeks do? Some of them mocked him. Some of them became angry. were ready to ride him out, run him out of town. But some heard and believed. Some heard and repented and believed. So sincerity of religion uh, is not what it's all about. Being able to say, well, I can trace my ancestry to Abraham is not what it's all about. I can say I have kept every law, every rule and regulation, all the dietary regulations, the ceremonial laws. I followed them all. Paul says that's not enough. In fact, he said, 
God can raise children up from these very stones. Repent. So if repentance is intimately tied to our faith, inseparable from our faith, what is it? And I'm going to try to give you a definition pulling from all the different teachings of the scriptural passage related to repentance. So why, if it's so important, why do we avoid talking about it? What is it? It is divinely wrought conviction of sin. God-given would be another way of saying that. God-given recognition, understanding, conviction of my sin, that I am a sinner. I'm guilty before God. You're guilty before God. And so part of that is recognition that my sin is no small matter. My sin separates me from a holy God. We just sang first song tonight, holy, holy, holy. God is a holy God. He cannot look upon sin. He cannot tolerate sin. Sin's a big problem, a big deal. He had to do something about sin in order for us to have a relationship with him. He will not tolerate it. Repentance also, besides being the recognition that I'm a sinner and I deserve hell, and so do you, none of you in here bring anything to the table in terms of your relationship to God. The only thing you bring is your sin, your brokenness. And that separates you from God. And he had to do something about it. But when true repentance occurred, recognition that I'm a sinner, secondly, it always involves a resolute turning away from sin. And I'm sure Perry remembers Ben Wilk- Dr. Ben Wilkerson, who had a great, a profound effect on me and my wife early on in our marriage. And he stood in this pulpit, and he talked about repentance. And his sermon that night was about Tombstone Charlie. Tombstone Charlie was the Gadarene demoniac. You remember the Gadarene demoniac that went around having fits and cutting himself and all that? And he talked about Tombstone Charlie. What Tombstone Charlie needed was repentance. He needed to turn around and go the opposite direction he was going. He was in a mess. And that's what has to occur with each and every one of us. We're sinners, desperate sinners, lost. And until we repent... And repentance will include a recognition I'm a sinner, and it'll mean I'm going to turn around and go the opposite way. That's what repent means, to turn around. And uh, so that's always involved in true God-given repentance is changing directions. And so the question we have to ask ourselves tonight, I've got to ask myself and you've got to ask you, do I still love my sin or do I hate it? I still think about it and want to find ways to cling to it and hang on to it? Or do I, am I horrified by my sin? Am I, am I grieved by it? And do I long to that time? It's the reason I want Christ to come back is I long for that time when I will be free at last from my sin. No more. No more will I fight daily to be done with it but I will finally be done with it. And so we can say that, that true God-given repentance is when we recognize we are a sinner and we turn and renounce our sin. And we also included in that is we accept 
the Holy Spirit's enabling of us to move forward in our daily living. You and I, just like we, what, what, what place were we in before we come to the Lord? What was our state? What was wrong with us? We were dead. <laughs> we didn't make ourselves alive. God had to make us alive. And so we can't even move forward in our Christian lives without the Holy Spirit enabling us to move forward. We can't grow stronger in our faith. We can't get better at serving and loving the Lord. And we certainly can't get better at loving each other and putting up with each other and overlooking and loving that brother, even though that brother is weak and, and, and is hard to get along with. We're called to love him or to love her in spite of that. Why? Because God loved you while you were still dead in your sin and trespasses. And so it caught, that brings me to the fact that I've got to, like Paul said in, in Romans chapter 14, I think it was, that, that we need to be real careful to not pass judgment on my weak brother or weak sister that's struggling. Uh, they have to have an attitude that's tempered because of the recognition. I know my sinfulness. I know what God had to do to make me his child. And so I look at my brother or sister who's struggling, and I realize that that one is just like me. We're both going to stand before God one day and have to give an account of ourselves. And so that's going to enable me not only to be humble about my own situation. I didn't bring anything to the table, as we said. I'm humbled because I realized God loved me in spite of myself. And that brother or that sister who's struggling also will have to give an account. And so rather than being condescending and judgmental uh, and a stumbling block or hindrance, I want to... Um, I want to be more prone to pursue mutual upbuilding and, uh, and, uh, and, and help and encouragement and love because two facts, every knee will bow before God. Every tongue will confess. Ultimately, everyone will repent. But that reality, that fact, should temper my attitude and it should give me a spirit of humility and a desire to love others. Now, we're justified by faith in Christ alone. There's no question about that. And our obedience to God pours from hearts that are filled up with a reality of we know how much we've been forgiven. And so that should give us a humility and a, and a difference of attitude toward others that we encountered. So I've been pounding on this whole notion of repentance, okay? Uh, and, and the fact that it should uh, stimulate us to gratitude. And, and I guess we should never think that our salvation is because of something we did. I want to be careful here. I'm not saying that these things don't happen and they're not part of reality in terms of life but we're i'm not a christian because i walked down an aisle as a child in a baptist church i did that 
But I'm not a Christian because of that. I'm not a Christian because I said a prayer. I'm not a Christian because I went off to a, a church camp and, 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 and confessed faith in, in the Lord. I'm not a Christian because I grew up in a Christian household. All of those things may be true, and those may be means that God used in his call, calling and drawing me to himself, but the fact is God did it all. You can't take a step. There is, that's one of those myths is that if you just take one step, God will do the rest. God did it all. You couldn't even take a step. God had to, in, he had to enable you to take a step. And God enables you as you move forward in your Christian life to do that which he's called you to do. You're his workmanship. He has called you to himself. He is building something special, something precious that's you. He's building it in you. Um, what happens when someone is presented with the gospel? Well, and I, and I could spend a lot of time there, and I, I'm not going to get bogged down, and I'm not going to go through all of the... I could, we could do a whole other sermon on the soils and the, and the sower in, in Matthew uh, chapter um, uh, 13, if I remember right. And I would, I would uh, encourage you uh, to revisit that, that uh, chapter uh, if if you haven't read it again, if you haven't read it lately, I would encourage you to um, to go back and and read that uh, the par- little short parable of the soils or the sower. Um, but I'll summarize all of those different kinds of soils quickly. There's two or three things that'll happen, and it's in light of um, what we see going on around us in the world today. What happens when somebody hears the gospel? Well, first thing that could happen is some people hear the gospel and they take it in and it makes sense and they say, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I am a sinner. Yeah, and if I died today, yeah, I, I ought to go to hell. And, um, and they get a glimpse of the truth of who they are and what God is offering. And yet they don't turn around. And go the opposite direction. They even may have glimpsed that they deserve God's punishment and hell. They, but they remain in their sin. And we could spend a lot of time talking about distinctions there. But they remain in their sin. Second thing is there, we hear very common in relation to what we've been talking to about in Sunday school and stuff is they may just say, I, I don't believe hell exists. I don't believe sin exists. That's just much stuff that much of Human beings have made up, uh, these religious types have made this up, and they're just trying to control us and keep us uh, uh, in, in our place. And, and they, it's, it's really all that uh, religious mumbo-jumbo, that Christianity stuff. It, it stifles my freedom. It keeps me from self-expression of me and being, me being who I truly am. That's what it's all about. It's just to not allow me to be my full, genuine self. And so uh, it's not true anyway. This is all there is. Got to grab for all the gusto you can. You only live one time. That whole kind of idea. And so there's the denial or some form of that. And then the third option is you can repent. You can repent. When you see the evil of your own heart, the stubbornness of our own sinful, fallen, broken wills, and we can turn to God and plead for mercy. That's what Scripture says that we're called to do. Repent 
and believe and run to the open arms of our Heavenly Father. And when we do, there's a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of will, because we've turned around. And as I said, that's the biggest evidence of true repentance from God that's been given from God. So what now, I'm assuming that everybody in here is truly repented. That's my prayer for you, that you have repented and believed and trusted in Christ alone. But if that's occurred, the question you can ask yourself, if that has occurred, you will forsake your sin and your desire for sin and your love affair with sin. And that love affair with sin will be placed with a new love. A love of, of uh, our sin will be gone. We may still sin. I'm not saying you will become sinless. But that love for sin will, will be gone. And you'll hate your sin. And you will love your Savior. Savior and there will be an earnest desire to please Him. And you will be... Uh, you will love God's Word. And you'll love God's people. And then you'll have a genuine effort to rectify the wrongs where you have wronged others. And you will, um, as far as possible, I said, you will go a totally different uh, direction. If you're still going the same direction that you were going when you said, I believe in Jesus, then you'd have to question, did you truly repent? Because Scripture makes it clear that there will be a turning around, turning away, running away from your sin. In closing, I hope, as I said, that we've all repented and truly believed and trusted in Christ alone. And I close with Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says it all. And Peter was speaking um, on the portico of Solomon at the temple. And he, he's speaking to those there. And this is what he says. He says, brothers, I know you acted in ignorance as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouths of the prophets um, that Christ would suffer, he has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins will be blotted out, that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. It is beyond wonderful to have your sins blotted out have your sins blotted out by the blood of Jesus, to know, as I said earlier, you're his workmanship. He is building a temple. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that he's building a temple that God's Spirit dwells in, you, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. I would I'd encourage you to read that 1 Corinthians chapter to 2 verse 16 that verse you are God's temple he's building you day by day moment by moment and that temple is holy profound let me close my wife's giving me that look (laughs) Um, Titus chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 waiting for our blessed hope the approaching of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession.
who are zealous for good works. That is my prayer. May it be so for the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and saving us. Thank you for being here with us tonight. Thank you for every day that you give us is an opportunity to love and serve you. Father, we do it so imperfectly. We fail so miserably. But thank you that we know that you will not let us go, that you will continue to work in us, that you'll continue to remake and build us into that temple that you have designed us to be. We praise your holy name this day in Christ's name. Amen.